Sometimes problems seem so big, they hide the light of day. Sometimes pain cuts so deep, I can't find the words to pray. Sometimes heartache seems to be much more than I can stand. That's when grace seems to take me by the hand. He gives grace in the midst of every storm. God gives grace that carries the weary and warm. He's everything we ever need for everything we face. So remember when it seems you can't go on, God gives grace. I know every pain I feel becomes his very own. God knows the weakness of my heart. I can't make it all alone. For he knows what I can handle, and he never gives me more. When his strength comes to an end, he has more grace in store. He gives grace in the midst of every storm. God gives grace that carries the weary and worn. He's everything we ever need for everything we face. So remember when it seems you can't go on, God gives grace. Grace will help you stand when problems seem so tall. And grace will pick you up every time you fall. Just remember when it seems you can't go on, God gives grace.
Psalms and open up to the book of Psalms, chapter number 66. <clears throat> Psalms, chapter number 66. I remember during the video, I forgot about this, but actually uh, Pastor Finley actually got saved in the same service that my mom got saved in. So I was a. I remembered that when I saw his facing, I'm like, oh yeah, I remember that. So that was a fun thing. So Psalm 66, book of Psalm, Psalms, book of Psalm 66. We'll read one verse. If you would stand with me as we read the Bible. We'll read one verse and I'll pray, and then we'll jump into it. Psalms chapter 66 and verse number 18. Psalm 66 and verse number 18. The Bible says, "If I." Regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Once again, Psalm 66, 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Let's pray. Dear Father, I thank you for this time that you've allowed me, Lord. I thank you for the opportunity to the privilege to preach your Bible from the pulpit that you have allowed, Lord. I pray that you'll use me during this time, Father. I don't want to just fill a time slot, Lord. I want to help and I want to be used of you. She'll speak through me, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Be seated. There's an old Chinese phrase that's been used for centuries. It has been said in many different ways and times. It has been used by many different people across thousands of years. It's been used by diplomats, world leaders, common people, you name it, they've used it. Uh, the, the Chinese phrase is Jai Lahu. Jai Lahu. This phrase was translated in English about the 1800s. Actually, the missionary Robert Morrison translated it while he was in China. So it's Jai Lahu. It, it can be used, and it has been used, to describe uh, many different things people, companies, letters, authorities, governments, and even at times, for all of these, at times, even you could even aptly apply it to even the Roman Empire or many empires throughout history. It's a very interesting phrase. Now, I'm going to leave that with you. We'll come back to that later on. I'm going to tell you what Jai Lu Hao means. I don't think any uh, Cantonese experts are in here, so I think we're pretty good on that. But I want to leave that with you. We'll come back to it later, and I'll tell you what the translation of Jai Lao Hu is. Now, jumping to a totally different topic, there is a philosophy in which one can keep almost anything clean and organized, whether it be your desk, an office, a room, a locker, whatever it may be, you have this philosophy and you hold to this, you will keep it nice and clean and tidy. The philosophy goes along these lines. If it does not have a purpose, it does not deserve a place. If it doesn't have a purpose, it does not deserve a place. Now, uh, at times, there are things that, oh, it's a dink, uh, dink. and all of a sudden, you, you have towers building up in your room or your office or your house of just things that, ah, oh, okay, 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 and it just keeps on building and building and building. See, the antithesis to the cleanliness of it, of if it does not have a purpose, it does not deserve a place, would be it has a place until I find a purpose, which is, you know, dangerous. That's what many garages are. It has a place until I, I'm going to use it one day. 
said 50 years ago. Both of these thought processes and philosophies will lead down a certain road or another. The first one will lead down to a road that yields cleanliness, orderliness, organization, how it should be. The other will lead to clutter. It leads to disorder, which will eventually lead to filth. These are the two opposite ends of the spectrum. You follow the one, it will logically, if you follow that to its conclusion, it will lead to more clutter, organization, and cleanliness. The other will lead to clutter, disorganization, disorder, and ultimately filth. It doesn't start out with filth. It will get there eventually as things just pile up and things just pile up. Now, we joke about that, you know, with garages and houses and offices and desks and whatever. But sadly, we do the very same thing inside of our hearts. Just as we would have an office desk and see a paper and say, I'll deal with that later. And I'll deal with that later. And all of a sudden, we have a mountain of paperwork around us that will get to eventually. I'll find a place for it. I'll find a purpose for it eventually. We tend to do the same thing in our hearts. In the inner man, we tend to do the same thing of, ooh, I'll hold on to that for right now. I'll hold on to that for right now. I'll hold on to that for right now. It's the same principle as if you had a garden. If you have a garden, the best way to keep a garden nice and pristine and the way it should be is every time, every day, when you see a little weed, Most you'll get it any single time if you do it every day and you're on top of it, maybe one, maybe two, maybe at most three weeks. But if you let it go for a while and just let it creep off to the back of your mind, you'll come back even a week or two later and it'll seem like, you know, the great jungle because of all the weeds that have come up in just sort of short period of time because of carelessness. Because it was not a priority to make sure it stayed the way it should have. See, that's the way it starts out. It usually starts out with just carelessness. Just not being as sharp and pointed to the problem as we should have been. Just letting it go on the back burner for a little bit. That's usually where it starts. Just by a little bit of carelessness. But eventually it becomes on purpose. That we are stacking that garbage in our house. I'll definitely use this later. It didn't start out that way. It was just, oh, let me put this here. But the thing, we do the same thing in our hearts. We keep on stacking garbage and filth in our hearts. And at first, it was just due to carelessness, just because we, we got a little off the way we should have. But after a while, it becomes a habit, it becomes a part of us, and it becomes a willing John Bunyan has a quote on prayer. It's very good. Prayer is a shield to the soul, a sacrifice to God, and a scourge for Satan. Very true. A very true statement. But on the same coin, it is a very, it should be a very convicting statement. It's a punching to the quick. Let's look at it. If your prayer is truly a shield to your soul, how well guarded is your soul? Or do you just have a 
shield with a bunch of holes in it that barely even has any handles. Or a sacrifice to God. Is your prayer life truly something that is worthy of sacrifice to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the God of the universe? Is he worthy of your prayer life? Is he worthy of the sacrifice that your prayer life is? A scourge to Satan. If your prayer life was the only thing keeping you from the attacks of Satan because God was listening to your prayer life, Maybe that's why we find ourselves in some of the situations that we find. Because that is a true statement. Prayer is a shield to the soul. A sacrifice to God and a scourge to Satan. It's a true statement, but how true is it for you? How true is that statement inside of you that prayer really is something that important? See, this statement should be uh, what we call a litmus test for the power of our prayer life. If I can look at that and say, yeah, I I know I have a good shield for my soul. I know I'm giving a worthy sacrifice to God. And I know I have a scourge for Satan because my prayer life is the way it should be. Well, that's good. But when I look at this statement, if I look at my own prayer life and I say, doesn't meet up, doesn't meet up, doesn't meet up. Then I know I have a major problem. I know I have something that needs to be attended to. You see, having a great, great prayer life doesn't necessarily mean that you spend millions and millions of hours in prayer to get something. Because see, that's what we always think about. Something happens, we, we, we go into prayer, we try and pray for a long, long time. You know, if I wanted something from my father, I don't need to spend millions of hours with him to work up the ability to ask him what I want. I can just go and ask him. Because I've already spent the time. I don't have to feel like I have to build up a relationship with you so I can ask you this thing that I really need. I can just, because I have the relationship, I have the history of all the times I've spent with the Father. You see, so many of us have a hard time praying because we feel we're so far behind that, what's the point? Let's be honest. There's an old statement, prayer will make a man cease from sin, but sin will make a man cease from prayer. See, prayer is the Christian's greatest asset. It is the direct access to God Almighty. When you bow down in prayer, you are entering into the throne room of God himself, and he invites you. He's not tolerating. He's not like, oh, here he is again. No, he wants you to come and pray to him. He's begging you to come pray to him. But why don't? We have this access, but we don't use it. To be honest, none of us can even compare to prayer warriors that we read out in the Bible or or in the history books. I, I mean, Moses. Can you imagine having such a relationship with God that time and time and time again, God said, Moses, I'm done with these rebellious people. And Moses stands before them and says, God, For my sake. Samuel. Samuel had a good prayer life with God. He knew who God was. Elijah. That's who the Bible references in the book of James. About the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man. Talking about Elijah. When he prayed. No rain. And when he prayed again. God says okay. I'll send the rain again. 
You see, God did not change over the thousands of years from Moses and Samuel and Elijah. That's the same God, the same God that Elijah prayed to and God stopped the rain for three years is the same God that we have today. So what is the problem? What is the missing link that we don't have the ability to pray for something like that? And it doesn't happen. What is wrong with our prayer life? The biggest area in almost every Christian's relationship with God is the prayer life. That is the communication. If I have no communication with a friend, with my wife, uh, we won't have a relationship. If I don't talk with her, if I don't communicate with her, uh, we won't have a relationship for very long. And if we ever did have a relationship, it wasn't very deep. So our relationship with God is based on how much time you're willing to spend with God. How much time you're willing to communicate with God. So let's be real. Be real with the person that you stare at when you're looking into the mirror. Why is John Bunyan's statement, a shield to the soul, a sacrifice to God, and a scourge to Satan. Why does my prayer life not lead up to that? Why is my prayer life not that? But John Bunyan had confidence in saying that for him. Oh, I know what my prayer life is. It's a shield to my soul. It's a sacrifice to God. And it's a scourge for Satan. Well, the usual excuses for not having prayer is, oh, I am so busy. My schedule cannot be more full than it is. Or, oh, my job. Or, or my kids. Or all the other distractions that I have in my life. All those are just excuses. We live in the generation that loves to play the blame game. Anyone and anybody but me. Anyone and anybody but me, and be very careful with what you blame because all of those things listed there are blessings from God. And God will listen and say, oh, you can't spend time with me because you're too busy at work? Well, take a job away then. Now we can spend time. Oh, your kids are too busy? Well, I'll take care of that. They won't want anything to do with you. Or worst case scenario, he'll say, I'll take them home then. If they're that much of a distraction that you can't spend time with me, the one that gave you them, maybe I just need to take that distraction away. God says, I gave you so much. And in return, I really don't ask for that much. In comparison to what is real, God says it's just reasonable. So be very careful what you blame the problem on. But all those are just excuses. All those are just the lights on the dashboard, you could say. You see, because when your car breaks down, what is the real problem? Oh, well, it's not starting. That's the problem. No, no, that's, that's, that's the cause. What is the, that's the fruit. What is the actual problem of why it is not starting? See, that's what we need to look at. Because too often we look at a prayer life and just say, oh, we look at the very basic cover level stuff that is the causes of the real problem. That is the fruit of the actual issue. A schedule, a job, children, whatever distractions you may have, whatever it may be, those are all just excuses and red herring 
that are being thrown up to keep you away from the truth. Once again, let's look back at our text first, Psalm 66, 18. The Bible says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. So what is our problem? If my prayer life is not what it should be, when I go to God, if I don't have the confidence that I know when I pray, God will be moved by my prayer. If I regard iniquity in my heart. You see, we have regarded sin in our heart. See, this is sin collectively. This isn't something where you can just put in your own little box and say, oh, well, this is my little pet sin. He said iniquity, anything that is against God. Anything that goes against what God wants. So you can't play the, the lawyer game or the loophole game and say, oh, you didn't say what I was doing. God said iniquity. If it's anything that rises up against me, anything that I want, iniquity. We need to get ourselves off the high pedestal that we think we are on. Remember, the Bible says, oh, wretched man that I am. You see, because when we look in the mirror, we shouldn't say, oh, wow. You see, because the Apostle Paul, one of the best Christians to ever walk the face of the earth, understood of himself. He said, oh, I, I'm the chief of sinners. And we're talking about the Apostle Paul. Oh, wretched man that I am. You see, we, we think way too much of ourselves. We think we're so much better than we truly are. See, this verse isn't just talking about uh, confessing your sin and then we're good to go. That's, that's important. And as we was talking about before with the gardener, with, with, with the piles in our house, this isn't just talking about, ooh, I, I, went, I went a little too long before I confessed some sins or things like that. No, this is much, much deeper. This is much more sinister. You see, this isn't just, oh, I went too long, or oh, I didn't follow the Bible command about not going to, not laying my head down if I have a problem with, a, oh, with my wife or, or another friend or something like that. I, I went to sleep when I was, you know, not right with them. That's not what this is talking about, although that would be true. It's talking about something much deeper and much more sinister. You see... This isn't just a simple oversight. This isn't just simple carelessness. This has gone beyond that. This has gone to the place of I purposefully let it stand. Unconfessed sin. You see, there is not a day, once again, get off the high horse. There is not a day that we'll be able to say, I am sinless. That day will never come as long as your heart is beating. There's breath in your lungs, there will never be a time where you can say, I am sinless. Most of us can barely go a minute, let alone an hour, a day, a week without sinning, without doing something that is against God. So we are committing a willful act of allowing sin in our hearts. But let's look at this first. If I regard iniquity, according to Webster's 1828, and just so you know, this definition, it was using Psalm 66, 18 as the reference for how you use the word. So 
don't try and say, oh, well, it's not used in that way. No, this is the actual definition from Webster's 1828 for this verse, for that way that regard is used. If I regard, regard in this verse means to love and esteem, to practice. God is saying, you know what's wrong with your prayer life? You know why when you pray it seems like it's hitting a metal roof? see, there's some very important things that we need to know. At this point, I am now purposefully allowing it to stay. It's gone from just the careless, okay, to, oh, no, no, I'm going to put it here. Oh, no, I'm going to put it here. I'm not tolerating it. I'm not struggling with it. I'm not trying to get the victory over it. I may hate it. I may despise it, but I've just accepted it. I have allowed it in. I let it stay. I have accepted the sin into my heart. I have chosen to have it stay. Oh, you may have acknowledged it very insincerely or universally. Oh, Father, for all the sins that I've done. Oh, we may have done that before, playing the game. But we know it's in there. We know it's still part of there. We may start using the excuse, it's just a part of my nature. It's just who I am. See, this isn't a stumbling into sin. This is a willful act of marching on into it because I decided to do it. I consider it, I contemplate it, and I cooperate with it. I see it, I know it, and I allow it to stay. See, this has the thought of approval. I am approving of this sin taking residence in my heart because I have regard something, it's something of honor. As said, to love and esteem. You say, I would never. It's not what the Bible says. You see, the reason why you say, I would never go to Jeremiah chapter number 17. I, I would never love and esteem something hidden in my heart so wicked and sinister. I would never. Well, once again, let's go back to the Bible. When there's ever a question, we always go back to what we know. Jeremiah chapter number 17, verse number 9. Jeremiah 17, verse number 9. The Bible says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can you see, you'll have the regard of iniquity in your heart. You've accepted it. It lives in your heart. But you'll convince yourself, I'm doing just fine. God understands. You'll think I'm living a life that's honoring and pleasing to God because you've believed your own lie. You see, we, we really like to, especially in this day and age, we like to latch on to a statement similar to this. I know it is bad, but the Lord gets me. He understands. Oh, 
you. He does. Oh, he understands and he knows you. But you don't know yourself. You see, God is grace. God is mercy. God is love. God is forgiveness. His mercy is new every morning. But with all that, God still hates your sin. He does not put up with it. He does not tolerate it. He hates it so much once again that he sent his only son to die on a cross for you and for me. That's how much he hates it. And it's an absolute abomination to him when those that claim the name of his son, Jesus Christ, when they claim his name, they've been washed in his blood, and they say they're a Christian, and they have regarded iniquity in their heart. God says, I don't get it because it's wicked. God did all that. He sent his son, and then we have the audacity to say, oh, God understands. No, he doesn't get it, and he never will get it. He doesn't understand, and he will not understand. And he says, you regard iniquity in your heart. Our sin separates us from God and kills our hope. You see, because why pray when you know in your heart of hearts, you know God is not leaving you where you found yourself. You know it's not getting up to a new place. It's being brought down. You see, when God stops listening or God stops being moved by our prayers, everything else begins to get moved. Your devotions, well, having devotions without a thriving prayer life is very dull and dying spiritually. You say, I have a hard time staying up with my Bible reading and reading my Bible. It just doesn't. conversation would get real old real quick if one person talks the whole time and that's it. And there's nothing coming back the other way. There's no back and forth. Obviously, prayer. You, you won't pray. If you know, it's not moving you. God is not being moved by prayer or by hope. Church, oh, we'll keep up the pretenses for a while. Eventually, everything we do in church, singing the choir, giving, amening, going to church, being faithful to church, being a part of everything that goes on in the church, it will die. Because God is not moving. God's not hearing me, and I've burrowed it deep and said, you know what? My perspective will change. My outlook on life will be totally different. Before, I was filled with joy and happiness, and I couldn't wait to be a part of what God had, and now it's 
soured and it's spoiled and soaked into our lives. Our walk with God dies. Our family will begin to die. And in all relationships inside the church, even outside the church, we'll become a miserable shell of a human being. Because we are made to have communication and fellowship with God. And if we don't, we're just fake. We're just making it up. Everything is affected when God will not hear. When God says, Just as if you stopped eating today, it wouldn't be immediately lose 500 pounds and oh, no, it's a process. The longer you go without it, the worse and worse you become. And the longer you go without God hearing you and having that relationship with God, the more anemic and weak and pathetic it all becomes. See, our lives are being destroyed because our sin that we allow inside is separating us from the Father. And therefore, it is destroying us from the inside. It is mutilating and killing us. See, the condition of our mind, our sin. See, back in Psalm 66, 18, the Bible says three very important words in this verse. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. I, my, me. We got to get over the blame. It's somebody else's fault. There, there, there has to be something else. No, the, the psalm writer here understood. He said, no, no, no. If God isn't listening to me, it's me. Have regarded iniquity in my heart, therefore God won't listen to me. It's not those around me, it's not the person down the street, it's not everyone else causing problems. I have broken the communication. I have You see, that idea, it's not my fault. That's the generation we live in. You, you will get away with that with man. You may even get away with that in the court of law or, or whatever. That it's not my fault. It's not my fault. It's not my fault. But that doesn't work. And that won't fly with God. You see, because God sees all the way down to the heart. You see, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. And he knows you can't fool God with it's not my fault. See, God already knows. He's just waiting for you, just like with Adam and Eve. He came in the garden. He says, where art thou? He knew where he was. He knew where they were at. He knew what they had done. But he said, come to me. Just come to me. Show me See, God knows it's our fault. He knows you're allowing it. You do know it. You have kept it, and you're just not struggling with it anymore. Oh, you may hate it. You may despise yourself because of it, but uh, you've just given up. 
given up the fight. You hate it. You despise it. But I've just accepted it as a part of me. It's just who I am. God does not love you like you love you. You see, it just goes unconfessed. We act like it's not there because we act like we think if I can act like it's not there, then it just won't be there and no one else will see it. No, out of sight, out of mind, no big deal. You see, it's still in there. It may live in a secret place, locked away in some far off corner of our hearts or buried deep within, but it's still there. You see, it lies in our heart. And the danger is we can go a long time without anyone else knowing or without anyone else knowing for sure. David, David and Bathsheba, he went an entire year before Nathan came to him and said, thou art the man. And all that time, David still went to the tabernacle. He still sang psalms. He still had public worship. He still sat on the throne. He still gave judgment to God's people. But it was all fake. It wasn't real. Because he was just playing God. Because David knew he was so wrong. You look at other Psalms. He even talks about it. He says, my bones are rotting within me. And he talks about how he soaked his pillow all the night long with tears. See, David knew he was wrong. But he kept on trying to smile it off and play the victim. And it was all fake. story. He said he would go to this one gas station. He would get a drink. His two sons would get a, uh, a drink and, and uh, they would go out and sit on this picnic table and there was this view of this nice beautiful oak tree. And he talked about, he said it's a beautiful oak tree, nice and big and strong. He said it's the, the perfect picture of what a tree is, you know, perfectly symmetrical, beautiful. And he told his sons and he said, boys, I want strong, a protection for my wife, for you, a good example of what it means to be resolute. And he says, I want you to be that too. And he said a couple weeks had passed by. He said he didn't know what happened, but they were passing by that same gas station that they would always go to. And he says he looked and that tree was destroyed fallen over, split in half. And he said he pulled in there and he talked to his sons and he said, sons, I was wrong. You see, because that tree, although it looked fantastic, it looked beautiful, big, strong oak tree. You see, the inside was all rotten. It was so far gone. It looked good on the outside. It looked strong. It looked able to protect and do what it needed to do, but on the inside, there was nothing there. It had been eaten out. It was totally rotten. See, that's what David was like. He, he still was the king of Israel, 
He still was the man that slew the Goliath. He was still the one that has slain his tens of thousands. But he was a facade. He was a man eaten up by his sin and his guilt, and he hated himself for it. That's why he would soak his pillow with his tears every night. That's why he felt like there was rottenness in his bones. Because he wasn't willing to say, I have sinned. It was all fake. It was all a lie. You see, others might not know. There might not be any other person in this world that knows what you do. If you are saved, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you now, and He lives with all that filth. He lives with it, but He's trying. Once again, something happens for long enough, eventually it goes away. It just become like what? There's a noise? You don't even recognize it. David said, you know what, I, I have sinned. He did need the man of God to point his bony finger at him and say, thou art the man. But David got to the place where he said, I have sinned. And you go on to write the Psalms of, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and see if there be any see, that's David learning from, I'm not going to let it pop back. I'm not going to let my carelessness turn into willingness. I'm not going to allow that to happen again. It started out with something just careless. When the kings went out to war, David said, oh, just a little careless. You know, I, I was a little tired. And the snowball began to roll. And sooner or later, it was bigger than David could ever imagine. You know, we all want to be liked. We want to be reverenced. We want people to look at us and say, wow, they're a good or even godly person. But we know. We know what lives inside. We know, just like that oak tree, we are rotten to the core. Because we've allowed that festering sin, that insidious, wicked sin, that iniquity. And we've accepted it into our lives. Oh, we hate it. We, we, we hate ourselves when we do it, but I just know they can't get rid of it. We go through the motions. We know what it is that God wants and doesn't want, but it's all fake. Why is our pride so weak, so anemic, so pathetic? Could it be our schedule, distractions, poor habits? If you're that shallow, then maybe. But if God means so little to you, then that these pathetic.
pathetic excuses can come between you and him, there's a bigger problem. You see, no, I, I truly believe that our prayer lives are so weak and anemic and pathetic because we have something very deep inside that we just don't want to struggle with. We don't want to fight it. See, God wants to use you. God desires to show you his power. In verse 19 of Psalm 66, the Bible says, But verily, God hath heard me. He hath attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, which hath not turned away my prayer, nor his mercy from me. God says, I want to. I want to show you my strong and mighty hand. excuses. Stop the pointing fingers. Take responsibility. This generation is one that tries to shirk responsibility. It's nothing new. Happened all the way back in the Garden of Eden, right? The woman thou gavest me. Someone like David. Yeah, he did wrong. Yeah, he was buried deep inside of his heart. He did wicked, but when he was pointed out, he said, I've gone too long. I have let this stay too long. I am so sorry. And he begged for forgiveness from God. Stop with the excuses. Be real with the Lord. desire to have a relationship back. I want to know when I pray that you're going to hear me. I want to know when I pray that you'll be moved with my hurts, with my desires. Because if we have iniquity in our heart, God will not be moved. He won't be moved doesn't matter how long it is, doesn't matter how sincere it is. God says, until you get that taken care of, I will not be moved. See, when I need God to hear, when I have a crisis, a need, but I know God won't be moved. I know he will not change. Because I don't have the confidence because I know I'm there. Why pray when I know God will hear me? Would that be why? We're not even praying anymore. Oh, we'll just give little token prayers in front of everyone else. But really in our own lives, it's just God's lucky if he even gets us to pray over our food. Have we gotten so far and buried it so deep that we just don't want to pray anymore? When tragic news comes, sickness, 
loss, cancer, devastation, financial tragedy, child is hurt or gone astray. he doesn't want to help not that he doesn't desire to show how strong he is but he says I cannot because you have iniquity inside of your heart do you already know because of your heart how powerful this anyone, I doubt anyone in this room has actually gone all the way that David has or is currently in some sort of situation like that. You see, many of us have probably even gotten pretty good about overcoming those fleshly sins, you know, drinking and drugs and all those things like that. Now, some of us may still deal with those, and if you do, that's a thing that you need to take care of. That is still a sin you can bury deep inside your heart, just like David did. But I think many Christians, especially ones that go to a good independent fundamental Baptist church, really struggle in the area of the spirit. Sins against the spirit. I say, what do you mean? drive down the street without someone losing their mind. People shooting other people on the street because they went too slow in front of them. The anger that flows through this generation, which is only natural because joy comes from God. If you don't have God, then you don't have joy. But what's even more concerning is not that the world is so angry. Christians I'm sorry, I don't see anger in the fruit of the Spirit. Fueling, raging anger that just boils on the inside. That's something uh, uh, Moses struggled with. Moses was an angry man. But Moses never stopped trying to keep it under control. It did eventually cause him lose out but he still had the privilege of God having written the Bible while he was completely sober because of that angry we're such an angry people why are we so angry why do we have such rage burning on the inside as a Christian that shouldn't be named of a Christian It's just who I am. I'm just a fiery person. I'm sorry. I I believe God gave the Holy Spirit to change who you were to who he wants you to be. Not so you could stay who you were and keep causing the same problems. That's why God gives the Holy Spirit. So if you have the, the, the audacity to say it's just who I am, that's more of an indictment on you that you're not allowing the Holy Spirit to change you to be what God 
wants you to be. It's just who I am. Uncontrolled tongues. I'll just say whatever I want to say when I want to say it. It's a very true statement. Yelling and cursings is the language of the evil one. Cursing is someone that someone says because they have a lack of vocabulary. They don't know anything else to say, so they'll say that. But once again, the world will do what the world will do. Christians having uncontrolled tongues, just saying what they will and saying cursings and vulgarity and just letting their mouth run wild and talking about whatever they want to talk about. That's wickedness. Gossip. Gossip. God's not a fan of gossip. He's strongly against it. Backbiting, tail-bearing God does not look kindly upon it. He despises it. He says, you're sowing discord among the brethren. So you're going to answer to me for that. See, this is God's church. It's not our church. It's God's church. Gossip. Liars. We live in such a lying generation. But once again, why is that being named of Christians? I mean, that's all social media is. Let's be real. Social media is bragging and lying. Because you're trying to say the best moment of your life and trying to make everyone to think, this is how my life always is. Oh, that's lying. Yes, trying to make people think, my life is so great and nothing ever bad happens. You're trying to make everyone jealous of your life because you're jealous of their life. And there's never any cycle. Lying. It's so prevalent today. What happened to the truthful, honest Christians? Ones that said, no matter what, I'm going to tell the truth. Even if it's two pennies that they gave me extra. Hey, uh, I I think you did the the tabulations wrong. I believe this belongs to you. Oh, it's just two pennies. Who cares? It's no big deal. I I don't think God looks on it that way. That's a, a lying tongue is in the list of seven abominations that God says, these are abominations. These make me sick. I hate them. I loathe them. Oh, that's a lying tongue. Bitterness. Once again, bitterness is a poison that you drip yourself trying to kill the other person. And eventually it will overflow as you drink and drink and drink and your family and those around you and then when, when, when you've grown old, parents, and you're 60 and 70 and all your children are grown up, and you just can't understand why they hate God and hate the church, well, just remember, you were them force-feeding them your bitterness that you just couldn't get over. Oh, you may still be in church, but they're all gone. Bitterness. If you're holding something that happened years ago, let it go. There are people that have gone decades of holding on to things. Grudges. We believe we are entitled to them because I was wrong. I'm, I'm glad Jesus didn't do that. 
once again. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. You don't crucify someone by accident. He didn't slip and fall and, oh, bang, hit you in the head. Ooh, sorry about that. No, it doesn't happen that way. You see, if we're so spiritual, why don't we be the ones that proffer the forgiveness as opposed to waiting for someone to ask forgiveness? Because if you're a Christian, that means you'd be Christ-like, and that's what Christ did. He said, Father, forgive them. No, no, soldiers were coming up and saying, please forgive us. No, that wasn't happening. But, oh, we get on our high horse of spirituality because I was wronged and they're going to come to me and bow down and grovel before me and beg for my forgiveness. I'm glad God doesn't do that with us. Bitterness. See, God will not hear us. We can play the game, church attendance, giving, all, all week we can look good. Ooh, psych that over somebody. Oh, we look good. We're barely holding on. And all it's going to take is just one little thing. And it's going to look like a big devastation, but it was a slow process. Because we just kept on holding on. And kept on esteeming that sin in my heart. Oh, I hate it. But I I just can't get rid of it. I've just stopped. It's bad. It's so prevalent in our day and age with the access that we have. It is everywhere. And if it's not purposefully guarded against, it will destroy you. It'll get to the place where you can't even look up without having impure thoughts. And if you're to that place, you have buried it deep. And God is waiting because he's not listening for anything else. He's waiting. He wants to help. It's buried deep in their heart. No one else knows, but you're a slave to it. It has you shackled so tightly, there is no way you're going to get out. You hate it. You despise yourself. blaming the circumstances of the situations? Many of us are. But be honest. Where have you hidden it? Where is it inside of you that you have? Is it buried deep away? Is it locked away or is it just all over the place? Like a fungus growing all over. Because that's what happens. Eventually it gets to the place you can't hide it. Oh, you, can, you may go for a while. I mean, David went for a whole year. But things will fall apart. It will. But God says, if you come to me, we'll take care of you. You're done and gone. But we just stay quiet. And God says, I want to show you what I can do for you, for your family, for Anchor Baptist Church. I want to show you, but... 
us. Why is our church the way it is? Our finances, the empty seats. Why is the world, why is not Columbus being shook down to the core by the gospel? I wonder if God is just waiting. I want to. desire to show you what I can do with my strong and mighty hand. I'm still waiting. I am still waiting. What else could it be? Envy, jealousy, malice, pride. Oh, those are very prevalent in Christians today. Shouldn't be. Shouldn't be named among them, but they are. See, there's a belief that this psalm, Psalm 66, was written by either Hezekiah or Jehoshaphat at the end of their lives. And they believe that this might have been something that they wrote after they had gone astray. And they had been filled with pride and anger and God brought them back down to where they should be. And they can say that for sure. Because in this statement, he's just talking about how God did what he asked him to. He went and prayed to God. That's all this statement is right here. From verses... uh, Uh, 14 down to 20, he's talking about how he spoke to God, he was in trouble, and God helped him. But verse 18 is a real, let me say this real quick. Maybe because they had learned, oh, I went down that path. It was not a good path to go. I had regarded iniquity in my heart. And I prayed when trouble came. I, I knew God wasn't listening. I knew God wasn't We have no submission to the spirituals. We don't even want to submit to the Bible. We don't want to submit to God. We think think the excuse, I don't agree with everything, is good enough. We're all different human beings, okay? God didn't make us a hive mind. We're all different human beings. Some people like blue socks and some people like black socks. But church is literally split over what color the carpet's going to be. What? How pathetic that something so trivial could cause such deep strife. Submission to the proper authority. God is still God. He hasn't changed. The rules he set down, the guidelines he set down, they're still the same. Because God says, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. The God that said, let there be, is still the God that reigns in heaven today. And he's waiting to show you what I can do. But are we not submitting? What is the problem? What have we hid inside of our heart? Where is your connection to? How far gone has it just deteriorated? Why is our walk with God so stale? We know we should read our Bible, so we're trying to read our Bible. We, we know we're, we're trying to do, read through our Bible in the air, so we're all trying to do it, but it's just so empty and dead. Well, maybe it's because we know we're just locking it deep down inside and just acting like, hoping that it'll just disappear. Because I'm pretending like it's not there. 
day we get to the place where we just say, accept me for what I am. And God will look down and say, I don't have to. I don't have to accept you the way that you are. That's why I sent my son to die for you. That's why I sent the Holy Spirit to you. So I don't have to accept you the way you are. Yeah, I'll save you the way that you are, but I want to change you. See, it'd be, the way we treat our sins sometimes is as foolish as a person that went to the doctor and the doctor said, we have this new technology. We can scan through your whole body and we can find, even if it's a single cell of cancer, and we can get it out just like that, no problem. It's just as foolish as if the doctor said, we've done the scan, we found a cell in your body all the way at the end of your pancreas. We can get it right now, no problems, we'll be good to go. Just as foolish as to say, oh my God, that's a part of me. That's who I am. And you just walk out and live your life. Just as that cancer would begin to grow as a weed in a garden. That's what cancer is, it's the weed of the body. It begins to steal the nutrients from everything else and begins to eat away at your body. That's what your sin has done. It's eating you from the inside out. It's rotting your bones. And you just can't. It's just a part of me. And God is waiting for you to say, help me. He's desiring how foolish we have become. Remember that phrase I started with the chapter number 19, verse number 15, the Bible says, and the evil spirit answers and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Jai Lahu is a Chinese phrase that means the paper tiger. Oh, it looks like a tiger. It looks real menacing and strong. It looks like it has power, but it's just paper. Flick it and knock it over. How many of us would say, ah, that's me. See, that's what happened to these in Acts chapter 19. Oh, they they looked good. They knew the part. They were going to try and take care of that evil spirit, but they were just jailahu. They were just paper tigers. Oh, they looked the part. They looked like they should have the power of God, but it was all empty. It was all cake. It was just paperish. A paper tiger. A saved person that lacks the power of God, claims the name of Christ, but has no power with God, no prayer life with God. That's all you are. You're a giant. devil looks at you and he knows you're a fake tiger. Just as David was that paper tiger. Oh, he looked good. He was still the same David, but he wasn't the same David. All the power he had with God, all the relationship that he had with God, gone. He was
Jesus coming back. Second uh, Chronicles seven fourteen very well known. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sin. See, God is trying to let you know you've regarded what the human heart has wanted. America, Anchor Baptist Church, we've allowed it to be. We've locked it up so tight. God desires. He says, I want to hear. I want to forgive. I want to heal your land. I want to show you what I can do in this church. I want to show you how I can fix the finances but I'm waiting for the evil to come to be quiet. It doesn't have to be shown off to everyone. Just come to me. That's all he asked for. He didn't say, David, you're going to have to go and give penance in front of the whole nation of Israel. You're going to go whip your back and tell everyone what you did. No, he didn't do that. Third Punic War, the last of them all, Scipio Emilianus went over to Africa, went over to Carthage, defeated them one last time, and they burnt the city down. That's where the legends say they showed the field with salt. As Scipio Emilianus was watching on, as the great city of Carthage began to crumble, And he said, a glorious moment, Polybius, but I have a dread foreboding that someday the same doom will be pronounced on my own country. See, Scipio Emilianus had the foresight to understand if we're not careful, Some other upstart nation will come and beat us and burn our city to the ground. What about America? More evil, more dangerous. What about the Baptist Church? We see the flames rising up, and soon there was once.
just a few years back, Carthage was standing toe-to-toe with Rome. And he said, I have a guard in my heart. Is God Six, six, eight, 